Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for such a wonderful, glorious day. And we thank you that you meet us here each day with the Spirit of Jesus to fill us, to guide us, to lead us into all truth. And Lord, that's what we want today is your truth. The truth that will set us free. That you'll encourage us. You'll challenge us. And Lord, that you'll move us down that straight path of truth today. Change us and transform us, we pray. In the precious, most wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read our text. Verse 7 begins, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led the captive of host of captives, and he gave them gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except for he also had descended to the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor and teachers. Well, Jesus Christ has given us these grace gifts, but he also gives us the grace to use these gifts. See, grace means strength. To use these gifts along with wisdom and courage, motivation and love, concern and care, power, and all the favor and the blessings of Christ. Whatever is needed to use your gift, the gift that's given to you and me, Christ gives it. He measures out exactly the amount of grace that's needed for that maximum use of the gift. But we must appropriate it by faith. See, the table is spread. Everything that you need for life and godliness, the ministry that he's called you to. But we appropriate it by faith. We come to him believing that he will empower us to do exactly what he's called us to do. It's in verse 8, Paul gives us this picture comparing Christ to a conqueror. He's returning home from a battle. He's bringing his captives along with him, the spoils of victory. He's giving these gifts of spoils to all of his own. And in that day, this would be a common an easily understood experience in Paul's day. Christ has conquered all the enemies that makes our lives useless and meaningless. 
Now he gives the greatest gift of all, salvation and the gift of meaning and purpose and significance in this life. He fills our life with all that man could ever possibly desire and use. Look with me at the screen in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, though. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body is being fitted and held by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part and causes the growth of the body for the building itself up in love. Now turn back to verse 7, the same chapter. Notice what he says again. But to each one of us, grace is given according to that measure of Christ's gift. These gifts are to build up the body of Christ. The word but marks a contrast with our previous text. See, the special gift is a translation of the word grace or charis. This indicates that the special gift is an act of God's grace. Last week in our text, we saw the church is one body and every member is to strive to keep the oneness and the unity of the Spirit. While there's unity, there is to also be a, a diversity. Each and every member has his own crucial role to play. And no two members are alike, and no two have exactly the same function. See, there's a, a part to be played by each of us, and this is assigned according to the, the measure of Christ's gift, that is, as he sees fit. Look with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39 we'll look at. Peter said to them, Repent, each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, and as many as the Lord your God will call. Well, that first gift is the Holy Spirit. And he has given salvation, he's given you and me his spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 11 makes it real clear. But one and the same Spirit works in all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And then in John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give another comforter that he may be with you forever. That is that Spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. See, these gifts are diverse gifts. They have special abilities and they're all given by God. Now, the purpose of these gifts is really the strengthening of the believers. It's the reaching of this world and the ministering to the, the hurting and the lost of this world. And every believer, that's you and me, this congregation, the next congregation, even the, the believer 
who's really kind of on the, the perimeter, who's not plugged into a church, he has a gift. Notice verse 7. These gifts were given by the Lord, and they're given to every individual. That means every man, every woman, and no one's overlooked. They're given to every individual church. And you know the thing that I love the most is they are to enhance and even intensify these these meetings to edify the believers. That is the, the church body. That we would be so aware of God's presence working in us and through us and around us. See, God in his sovereignty, the Spirit of Christ, as we saw, distributes these gifts. Now, they're called charismatic gifts. And the list of these spiritual gifts, they appear in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, in 1 Peter 4. And each and every member, as I mentioned, is gifted and has at least one of these charisma gifts. Whether it be the gift of teaching or prophesying or exercising of faith, healing or performing miracles, the discerning of spirits, the speaking of tongues, the interpreting of tongues, or various other gifts. Each gift is important. Each gift is essential. And there's grace for each gift. Again, 1 Corinthians 12.4 reminds us that there are varieties of these gifts, but they're of the same spirit. But how does the believer discover and develop his gifts? Number one, by keeping himself in the love of God. That is, being in fellowship with other Christians in a local body. Now what we must remember is these gifts, they're not toys to play with, but they're tools given to build with, to build up the body of Christ, to, to bring glory to God. But if they're not used in love, they really become weapons to fight with. In fact, that's what happened, if you remember, to the Corinthian church. And, and you see that in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And he stops in the middle of the gifts and, and he stops and he focuses on love. Love is really that mark. Love is what we need to do. Love, we use these gifts, and love, we go out into this world. Scripture makes it very clear. They'll, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. See, Christians, they're not to live in isolation. For after all, we're members of the, the same body. And they are to function and work together for his glory and, and for his purpose. And every believer's gift, though, has a cost. And it's the greatest possible price. Well, what do you mean? Look down at verse 8 in our text. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a captive of hosts, and he gave gifts to men. Now, a common teaching views this captivity as referring to Old Testament saints who, though saved, were held in some sort of captivity. 
Jesus went into Hades, that's hell, then retrieved them back from their captivity and took them to heaven. This teaching, however, is rooted in the Roman Catholic tradition, and we really don't see it in Scripture. Picture this for a moment. An ancient king who had conquered his enemies. See, the king is sitting astride a white stallion, riding under the arch of triumph as he enters into the city, teeming with thousands that shout their adoration and praise, following in his train and his army. And then following the army come the enemy stumbling along on foot and chains, looking like their defeated foe as they are. And they had initially come to fight tooth and nail and subject the people to the king and to the tyranny. But now they come to offer gifts to conquer, the great conquer. The conquer receives these gifts and turn bestows the gifts upon his own people. See, that's what is happening, this, this picture. And Paul's quoting Psalm 68, 18, he says, You've ascended on high. You have led the captives, your captives. You have received gifts from men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. See, the picture is Lord Jesus Christ leading his triumphant train, that is the devil and hell and sin and death, the great enemies that were against man which had held mankind captive for so long. The princes, which had controlled the captivity, are now being led captive themselves. Now listen again in Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim and release the captives to recover the sight of the blind, to free those who are oppressed. Colossians 2.15 says this, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made them public. Public display of them and having triumphed over them through him. And 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. See, Christ is the conqueror. He has conquered the enemy. He's conquered him at the cross. But at the same time, he's come to bring the gospel to the poor, to release us, those that have been bondaged, blinded by Satan, recover the sight of us, and to set us free no longer in bondage to sin, but to live for Christ, live in freedom, live in love. That's what he's teaching. And verse 8 goes on to say that he gave gifts to men. And these gifts should not be confused again with the gifts mentioned in the previous verse. The word here is not chrismata or chrisma, referring to those special gifts those gifts, that, that there are about 19 of them in the Bible, some say 21. I believe it just gives a sampling of really the gifts. The diversity is so incredible. 
those gifts that are to build up the body, those gifts that we are to use each one of us individually. But again, the word here, the gifts is doma. It's a general term for which is given. The gifts here in this case are gifted men. And they're mentioned in verse 11. So Christ gave these gifts to the church when he ascended to men. Think of Peter on the day of Pentecost, the evangelist that shares the gospel. And he's given the keys, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He opens it up so many believe. And again, these were given. He empowered them. He gave them the ability to use the gift that they were given. Look at verse 9. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except for that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. Now John 3.13 says this, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And then Acts 2.34, notice what it says, Therefore it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, then again chosen to be eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And you can find that in Acts 1, 22. And chosen to be the ones who will carry forth his message, which he had come from his own mouth. Now let's look at that Mark 3. We're actually going to look at verses 13 through 15. He, referring to Jesus, went up the mountain. He summoned those who he wanted himself. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, so that they would be with him, and he could send them out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons. You know what I like about this passage? First of all, Jesus called the men himself. He called them the ones he wanted. He wants you in me. He desires that intimate relationship. Now, in the case of these 12 apostles, he wanted to be with them. He gave them a purpose to preach, to proclaim the good news, and to have a special authority over demons. He, he gave them that power. Look at Matthew 10.1. And Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits and to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So he gives them authority and he gives them power. Now, again, 2 Corinthians 12.12 makes it very clear. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. These twelve, followed by Paul, these were the eyewitnesses that saw Jesus. They were trained personally by Jesus. And these would perform signs and wonders and miracles. And he calls these the signs of true apostles. Ephesians 2.20 tells us about these apostles that we're talking about here. 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. See, God used these apostles, these prophets, to help establish the word, lay the foundation of the church. But notice it's built upon Christ, Jesus himself being that cornerstone. That means they're plumb too. Everything lines up with him. It's not every wind of doctrine. Now the apostles referred in this passage mean only to those apostles after that ascension of Christ. That they were given that a special power and authority and sent in his name. Now the next thing that you see in our text there is, is prophets. And in this context, we're talking about the office of a prophet. See, they're spokesmen, mouthpieces for God, and they're speaking under the inspiration of God's Spirit, which includes both prediction and proclamation. Now, I believe that we still prophesy today that God can speak through any one of us, and probably more often in a very natural sense, he'll speak through you to someone else, and they'll know that God's speaking to them, and God gets the glory. But what we're talking about in our text here, the context of the passage, this is the office of prophet, not just someone who speaks, foretells, or proclaims God. These, these men are given a very unique power and special to do what God has called them. And you too are given a unique and special power. And God has called you and will use you and he will give you the grace that you need for that gift. Now there's no question that the gift to predict events has been abused to the point of almost being ridiculous. The abuse of this gift does not eliminate the fact that the Spirit of God sometimes gives believers a glimpse into the coming events to prepare and strengthen them to face those things ahead. He's concerned about your future. He's concerned about your direction. However, keep this in mind, the primary function of prophecy is clearly stated by the scripture, the fact that it should be heeded by all believers. Now, there are many within the churches today that say, well, you know, prophecy is not for today. We'll look again in 1 Corinthians fourteen thirteen. I believe in this case it's probably talking about uh, pastors, uh, prophets, uh, evangelists, people that are speaking again into a group of people. Notice what he says. The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, to exhortation, and to consolation. So if it is a pastor speaking, the message should edify. The message should exhort you to do what the scripture is saying, to, to encourage you and challenge you to do that right thing, and also bring comfort and encouragement to you. We'll look again at 1 Thessalonians 5.19. We'll begin there. Notice what it says. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But our response is to be but to examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. There are those today that again, quench the spirit. They despise prophetic utterance. There are those, again, that, 
that are speaking in the name of the Lord that's not of the Lord. But what does the text say in verse 21 there? It says, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Well, Ephesians 2.19 says this. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but notice your fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. And having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being that cornerstone, we see again, to whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. See again, the apostles, the prophets have been given for the purpose of laying a foundation and building us up in Christ Jesus. The scripture was given through these men in many cases. And the scripture reminds us that God, the Holy Spirit, spoke through them. And as he spoke, they wrote it down. They divinely spoke, inspired them. The very individual words. Well, the third one that we see in our list here is evangelists. Evangelists, it's the English word evangelist or gospel come from the same word in Greek. Now the evangelist is the one, he declares, he preaches, he brings he announces and proclaims the gospel or that good news. They are divinely equipped and they are to win the lost to Christ. This is their mission, their purpose. They have a special ability to distinguish the sinner's condition, to probe his conscience, to answer the objections, to encourage decisions for Christ and to help the convert find assurance through the word. See, evangelists go out from a local church. They preach to the world. Then they lead their converts into a local church where they can be fed, encouraged, and built up. See, that's why God gives the next one, pastors. Pastors are men who serve as an under-shepherd of the great shepherd, that shepherd, Jesus Christ. Now, in the grammar, you'll see the word pastor, teachers at times, pastors and teachers. See, they're connected. The grammar is, is clear. In almost certain, it's one office. Now, there are pastor teachers. They are to watch over that flock of God, and they are to open and expound on that word of God. The reference, though, when we, we talk about this word for, for pastors, there's pastors, bishops, elders. They're all the same. They relate to the same office. They're just, each one has a different gift and a different function, and the gifts work together. But they guide, and they feed the flock. That's their concern. They give wise counsel and correction, encouragement and consolation. But the one who is the pastor, he has a shepherd's heart. He nurtures, he cares for. The teacher, though, in a different way, he can have that pastor's heart, but sometimes he doesn't have that pastor's heart. But he's a man divinely empowered to explain what the Bible says. Interpret what it means, imply it into the hearts and consciences of the saints. 
Whereas evangelists may preach the gospel from a passage, but at times it's out of context. The teacher, in contrast, seeks to show people how this passage fits into the context, how it fits in the whole Bible. While both are given, they have a different purpose. Now, because pastors and teachers are linked in this verse, again, some conclude it's only one gift intended. But, again, a teacher sometimes doesn't have that heart of a shepherd. And a person can have the shepherd's heart. And he may be able to teach the word, but it's obvious that he teaches it without this distinctive gift of teaching. Another thing that's important to remember, we need to be careful to distinguish between the gifts, the divine gifts, and natural talents. See, no unsaved person, however talented, could be evangelist or pastor or teacher that is in the New Testament sense. Neither could a Christian, for that matter, unless he's received a particular gift. The gifts of the Spirit are supernatural. They enable a man to do what may be humanly impossible. So there are some that are gifted and have gifts, but there are some people that have a natural talent or ability, like a worship leader, may be able to have that ability to play a guitar, to sing. But that's not a spiritual gift. But being that he's born again, maybe he has that gift of, of teaching. Maybe he has that gift of helps. Maybe he has that, that compassion. Whatever it is can be used along with those natural abilities to bring glory to God. So the gifts, again, remember, are supernatural and thus enabling the man to do what he's called to do. But there's another problem I want to bring up for a moment. See, if Christ has really given such meaning and purpose to life, why then are so many people bored with their work and their life? Why are so many, even believers, dissatisfied, empty, without purpose and wanting change? I think the scripture tells us and tells us very plainly. A person who has not committed his life to Christ is not fully, totally given over to him. He does not really deny himself and follow Christ. In fact, that's what the scripture reminds us is so important in Luke 9, 23. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. Well, the next thing is a, a person has not sacrificed himself, all that he is and has, to serve Christ and mankind. A person has not committed himself to a life of service. Real life is found only in service, in Christ, because God has ordained it so. Look with me at Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 23, 11 reminds us that, but the greatest among you shall be a servant. The way up is the way down. That we need to humble ourselves like a little child 
and follow in the footsteps of Christ. There's another point I want to call your attention to. A person lives and sows to his flesh instead of the Spirit. That's what we're reminded of in Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Each of us has a call, a gift, and a mission. So the body Christ will grow both spiritually and numerically. Well, God has called us as a body. As a body, we are to function. We are to work together. In fact, next week, our text is going to be like every believer's gift has a threefold purpose. How do we use these gifts for the body to build it up? Well, again today, we need to decide, have we committed our life to Christ fully and totally? Have we sacrificed everything for the one that gave his life for you and me? Are we living in the flesh instead of the spirit? See, if these things are true, then we will be ineffective in the work that God's called us to do. See, each of us, again, have a call a gift and a mission. We are to go and love this world, to love one another as Christ loves us. Father, again, thank you for this time. Thank you in spite of me. Lord, you're at work all the time. You can take this message and plant it deeply in the heart of these lies because it is the word of God and the word of God is the power of you, the power of God unto salvation. Lord, we just don't want a, a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. We want to be the men and women that you called us to be. We want to appropriate the grace that you have given us. And we want to go out and impact this community. To see lives changed and marriages healed and, and, and people that are on drugs and alcohol set free. God, deeply plant that in our hearts that we can do nothing but what you have called us to do. So Lord, we commit this day, our lives, this church to you. Be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen.